You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. No, if you were here last Sunday, this focus of last Sunday and this Sunday with Global Mission Sunday and what we're calling today Vision Sunday is this reality, this truth of the value of one. You see that on the banners off to the sides here, the banner that was hanging out front last weekend, because we're really trying to focus on what it is that God has called us to do and to be as a church, and it starts with one life at a time. And there's one person in particular, as I've thought about this value, who has no idea the impact that their life has had on mine. This gentleman's name is Ron Sauer, and he was a middle school teacher at the middle school where I went to school. Never had him for a class, never had a class with him, but certainly knew who he was. He volunteered his time to coach a couple of the sports that we had at the school, and he was just one of those teachers who you could tell loved kids. Teaching wasn't a job for him, it was a calling, and he lived his life that way, just constantly investing his life into kids. And he was the leader of a, what was called a Young Life chapter at our school. He was the leader of that. And I had no idea what Young Life was. I just knew that um, a bunch of my friends started going to it and really liked it and talked about it a lot. There were cute girls there and there was food there. So it was like the trifecta. Okay, <laughs> that sounds like something worth my time. So I started going to this and it was all those things and more. It was, it was fun. But they talked about the Bible and Jesus. And up to that point, that sort of thing just kind of felt irrelevant to me. It's like, yeah, yeah, well, okay, okay, Jesus, yeah, who cares? But it really made sense to me. And what we talked about began to have an impact on my life to the point that Young Life always culminated each school year in this summer camp that they had in the Sierra Nevadas in California called Woodleaf. And so I decided to go to this camp and so we jumped in a bunch of vans and drove all day and into part of the night to get down to, to Woodley from where I was living. And it was just this epic camp. It was so much fun. But there was this speaker there who, every time he got up to speak, I felt like he was speaking directly to me. It was more than just relevant. It was powerful. And, and I found myself hanging on what he was talking about. And he kept going back to Jesus and talking about knowing Jesus, not just knowing about Jesus, but actually knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And on the final night of that camp, he asked for us to make a commitment of choosing to know Jesus. In the language we've been using last week and that we'll use today, saying yes to Jesus. And so I decided there was no way I couldn't say yes to Jesus. I just knew it was something I had to do. And so I did. I said yes to Jesus as a 15-year-old, made Jesus my Lord and Savior. He came into my life through his Holy Spirit and completely changed my life. And this man, Ron Sauer, I'm sure has no idea of the value of his life on mine. I'm sure he has no idea that I not only know and love Jesus, but that I've been privileged to be a pastor for the last 27 years. He would say, that is a miracle. God does miracles. You're a pastor. I'm sure someday when I connect with him, if I get the chance to, he'll be blown away by that. But he has no idea the impact his life had on mine. All because he was faithful. He was the real deal. He loved Jesus by his example, by how he lived his life. 
And he invited me into this group that culminated in me eventually going to this camp. Because you see, the reality is, and we looked at this last week with Dan Collins and our mission celebration, God is always at work, even if you can't see it. I couldn't see it. I had no idea I was going to go to that camp and leave that camp following Jesus Christ. Not a clue. My friends had no clue that I was going to make that decision. My parents really had no clue that I was going to make that decision. I came home and they thought, what in the world happened to you? You know, is this a fad? Are you going to get over this? Jesus isn't something you get over, right? But the power of the work of God, and as Dan rightfully pointed out to us last week, because God is always working, we have no idea when we are going to enter into a conversation, enter into a relationship, enter into a situation where he isn't already working, and we're just going to come right in the middle of that, and he's going to use us to be a blessing to someone else, and we may even get the privilege of seeing someone cross over from death to life and choose to receive Jesus Christ like I did at that camp. And that's the reality, and that's what we're called to do, is to be ordinary people who do extraordinary things because of an extraordinary God who works through us as the church. And that's what you call a community of people who live like that, who look for God's work, who join in God's work, who celebrate God's work, who anticipate God's work. That's the church. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. So, how do we do that? I mean, what does that really look like for us? Well, at Grace, we are about loving God, loving people, reaching people, and developing people. Those first two come out of Matthew 22, where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. The other piece of that is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the first two parts of that statement. The final two parts come from this very passage we're going to look at today. Matthew 28. It's often referred to as the Great Commission. Whatever you want to call it, if mission kind of weirds you out a little bit and you don't like that, that's okay. This is purpose. This is focus. This is what we are to be about as a church family. So let's look at what this means for you and me. If you have a Bible, take it out, turn on your phone, turn on your tablet, and get to Matthew 28. We're going to walk our way through verses 16 through 20. And then we're going to look at and celebrate and anticipate God's work in our church family here. So here we go. Jesus has risen from the dead. He appears to the women, Mary and others, tells them to go tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee. And so the women are faithful. They go to the disciples. They tell them to meet Jesus in Galilee. And this is where the story picks up. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now let's begin to walk our way through that. And this has always fascinated me. So the 11 disciples, and presumably others as well, most scholars think there were other disciples there besides the 11, go and they meet Jesus where he told them to meet him. So they are obedient to that. Now at least in the case of the 11 disciples, they have been with Jesus for three years. 
They've lived with him. They've lived daily life with him. They've seen the miracles. They've seen God's work. Presumably the other disciples at some point, in some way, shape, or form, who may have been there, probably were there, had also seen God's work, had also seen at least a miracle, had seen Jesus doing all these things and proving he was who he said he was, and yet they doubted. Isn't that interesting? They had seen the work of God, and yet they were still doubting and, and struggling. And that says several things to me. Number one, it suggests to me that even when you see the work of God, you will go through seasons as a disciple, as a follower, where you will struggle with doubt. Maybe it's because you're not seeing the work of God. Maybe it's whatever the case may be. You fill in the blank, but you struggle with doubt. And it's really important for us to differentiate between two things here. Doubt is the absence of something. You need more information. You need more validity. You need, quote unquote, more proof, more foundation for belief. But there is an openness. There is a willingness to wrestle with that. We see a number of examples of people wrestling and struggling with doubt in Scripture. However, there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Unbelief is not the absence of something, it is the presence of something. Because what unbelief says is, I will not believe. You can't convince me. You cannot prove it to me. I'm not buying, regardless of what you're selling with this. That's unbelief. God has seemingly unlimited patience for those who struggle with doubt. We see that here. We see that over and over again in scripture, especially with his resurrection. He's constantly appearing to people and giving them what they need to believe in him. He appears to Thomas, who we all, or many of us know as doubting Thomas, and he doesn't condemn him for his doubt. He actually speaks into it. God has seemingly unlimited patience for those who are doubting. He has limited patience for those who are choosing not to believe for those who are mired in unbelief. And it's really important that we understand the difference between the two. Ironically, the starting point for believing is owning your doubts, is admitting you don't believe. That's really the first step towards believing, is owning your doubt. But unbelief is not someplace where you want to be and where you want to stay. And we live in a culture right now that more than ever is questioning the authority of God's word. In fact, in many cases, it is mired in unbelief. It is saying you can't trust that. In this era of deconstructionism, there is this growing um, movement to not only question the authority of God's word, but to undermine it to dilute it. And one of those examples is this group called the Liturgists, founded by two people who have chosen to walk away from God as they once understood him and, and knew him, to walk away from his word, to undermine his word, to question his word. And that isn't doubt, that's, that's unbelief. And so it's always our agenda to inoculate you against these things that will take you away from the power of God in your life. 
And doubting his authority is where that starts because in this passage, Jesus unequivocally says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Only God can say that, and that's the point. Jesus is God. He is claiming all authority as he comes to his disciples and says, this is what I want you to be about. And then he tells them, this is what I want you to be about. And all this hinges on make disciples. That's the main imperative in here. All these others modify that, talk about that. And a disciple is simply a follower. Really, at its essence, it's a learner, a learner of Jesus. And so he says, go. And by the way, when it says go here, this actually assumes movement. Another way this could be translated would be as you are going. We don't wait for the world who needs Jesus to come to us. We go to the world that needs Jesus. It's a, it's a both and. And how we do that is we proclaim who he is. And then when someone chooses to follow Jesus, they are baptized. They identify with who Jesus is. That's what baptisms are when we do here. Someone is identifying that they love Jesus and want to follow him with their life, and then we teach them. And as we looked at last week with Dan, that's more than just information. That is transformation that happens as we choose to respond to the Holy Spirit in our lives and choose to trust and obey him. And by the way, the more you know him, the more you want to follow him, the more you will want to obey him. They go hand in hand. The more you and I understand truly the character of this God who we just sang about is good, he really is the gold standard of good. He is the definition of good. And the more we understand him and know him, the more we naturally want to obey him and follow him. So here's the deal. As the church, we all share in God's mission. And some of you have heard this part of the story, but maybe some of you haven't. So when I was 15... Underneath that huge dug fur that evening, when I received Jesus Christ into my life, I made a deal with God. And I said, okay, here's the deal, God. Here are the terms. I will follow you with my life as long as you don't ever make me a pastor <laughs> and you don't ever make me a missionary. If you can shake hands on that, I'm in. Number one, how presumptive. I'm telling the God of the universe his plan for my life. Number two, I love being your pastor in particular, one of them. I love being one of your pastors. There's nothing I'd rather do with my life. I've been a missionary. I've gone to other cultures and proclaimed Jesus. And every single time I have done that, it has been a defining moment in my life. I stand before you as one of your pastors because on a missions trip, God told me, I want you to serve me as a pastor for the rest of your life. That's where I got my call to, to ministry, vocational ministry, and to be a pastor. But you know what? If you know Jesus, you already are a missionary. We talked about that reality last week. You don't have to get on a plane or a train or a boat and go to another culture in order to be a missionary. You already are. You're already a messenger of God if you know God and love him. So I've been both. But what was I really saying there when I was telling God and setting the terms for how this was going to go in my presumption? This isn't my mission. And that's really what I was saying. The, no. Okay, I'm in, but, uh, yeah, no to that. 
if Jesus really is God, if all authority on heaven and on earth is his, I don't set the terms and I don't make the plan. He does. And so this is kind of a trick question. And here it comes. Are you a part of God's mission? Yep. Whether you know it or not. If you know and love Jesus Christ, you are a part of the mission of God. You're in. The real question isn't, are you a part of the mission of God? The real question is, are you going to share in it? Are you going to be active in it? Are you going to be a part of it with how you live your life? And by the way, Jesus says that this is for you and me because this mandate, this mission that he gives, this purpose that he gives his disciples is way too big for 11 people. This is looking down through the ages to all those people who would choose to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you and me, and into the future. And if that's not enough for you, all of these words here in this passage are plural. Now, if we lived in the South, how would we describe this in our language? This is all y'all. We don't talk like that in the Northwest, by and large, but it sure is representative. This is all y'all. Everything in here is plural. We are so individualistic in how we think that sometimes it permeates how we filter and internalize God's word. But this is who we are as the church. You step over from death to life and know Jesus, you're in. You're, you're a part of this. This is what God wants for your life. And if that wasn't enough, he has promised his presence and his power as you and I, as the church, live this out it says right here, we were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We've looked at this in our Old Testament series in Genesis, which we will return to, by the way, next week, that in the Bible, names always mean something. There's always significance to names. It describes your essence. It describes your future, your present, your past, your, your potential, oftentimes. And when it talks about the fact that you were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's saying something in you changed. Your nature changed because the Holy Spirit, God himself, now lives inside of you. And if that wasn't cool enough, he promises us that he will be with us always to the very end of the age. He's never gonna leave. But there's something lurking in here that we need to appreciate from the vantage point of his church. And it's this. There's a promise here. His kingdom is going to come. You realize that? It's not a question of if Jesus Christ is going to come back. The question is when. When is he going to come back? And when he comes back, he will fully actualize and complete the coming of his kingdom. It's in motion now because we're a part of it, but his kingdom will come to completion, to perfection when he comes back. So here's the question, and the question is this. This kingdom is coming whether you're an active part of it or not. The question is, are you going to be a part of it? Are you and I going to live our lives with purpose, with focus, so that we can experience the joy and the hope and the blessing of seeing God's work and joining in that work as it's going on around us? Because at the end of the day, it's going to happen. The question is, are you going to be a part of it? And I am so grateful to be able to tell you we are a part of it. God is at work in our midst and in our community and we have jumped headlong into that 
And there are so many ways that that work is taking place. We're gonna give you just a snippet here. This is a compilation video of a number of things that have happened in the life of our church this last year. And as you watch this, I want you to look at it through the filter of how was God working in that? Some of these you may have participated in, some you may not have, and that's okay. Watch for God's work and how we've been able to be a part of that. Let's roll that video. A small snippet of how God is, is working in our community. So let's talk about some other ways he's working and look to the future together. There's so many stories that we could tell. Here's just a couple. If you'll think back with me with our third service, Community Lab, um, we had a use the building relationship with them for a number of years, um, up to about six, seven years ago. And we began to talk seriously about being a church together and chose to make that, that change and become a church together. So when we did this, Community Lab was somewhere between 30 to, to 50 people five, six years ago. Now on a weekly basis, the, the service that follows this one here has about 170 to 200 people in it. The average is about 170. It is growing and growing and growing. And the impact isn't just here in our community. It's really across East County. And we're so excited about that. And one of the things we're doing this next year is we've pulled together a leadership team from all of our services to look at how we can even more integrate as a church together. I mean, there are differences that we're going to continue to celebrate and appreciate, but we want to do life even more together as a church family. And we're looking at that and researching that together, and we'll bring that back to you. But you know also that we've had a food bank, many of you, um, for a number of years here at Grace. When that originally started, we were helping about 30 families right here in our community, and it's a cooperative with East Gresham Elementary School and some other entities. Well, now we're helping over 50 families every single week through the food bank. And again, that comes back to your giving and your investment into that. But to recall your member even from earlier this winter, you remember we introduced to you the idea of this ministry called Immigration Connection, and we raised some resources for that together. And the, the person who's a part of that, um, Tita, she is an active part of the food bank every week, building relationships with the community because a number of these families we're helping through the food bank are Hispanic families. So all this is working together to have an even deeper impact here in our neighborhood. And we're very, very excited about that. But really, this last year has really been a season of transitions. We've gone from four services by design to three, and we love the unity and the community that that has created in getting us even more together in the same room, which has been fantastic. But we have a pretty long-tenured staff here at Grace, and we had 10 staffing changes this last year. We've never had so much transition in our leadership for a variety of reasons, but that's, that's a lot of change, and some of those roles are still yet to be filled, but if I was to say in the normal life cycle that churches go through, we're in a life cycle of transition right now, which means we're consolidating and focusing what it is we want to do and, and how it is we want to do it, and because of that, there are some unique challenges and opportunities ahead of us. Let's talk about resources. Um, our giving to this point in the budget year is right around 100% of the budget, which is fantastic. We're very grateful for that. But to remind you, this is the same budget that we've had for the last two years. We didn't increase it last year because we wanted our giving to grow to where it was being met on that side of the equation, and now it is, and that's a good thing. Because of all these unfilled staffing roles that we've had and some other things in the budget, 
our expenses are significantly below what we were anticipating at this point in the year, and that is a good thing too. We'll come back to that. But as the elders have looked to the future, we believe it's really important with this budget that is going to be explained in that letter that I referenced, so please make sure you read that, that we have a zero increase budget for the time being, meaning that we're not going to be increasing the budget until we make sure that our giving is where it needs to be in order to do so. But in reality, there's no such thing as a zero increase budget. In your budget at home and in our budget here as a church, there are certain things that are going to go up every year, utilities, facility costs. So in order to control those costs, we've made some painful reductions in some places in order to keep this budget at a zero increase budget. And it's the elders' desire that as soon as possible, we want to restore some of those, all those areas and refund those once we have the money to do so. So that's, that's where we're looking for this next year. But the expense savings I was referring to in this year's budget is about $100,000. That's, that's a lot of money. And that's a one-shot deal. We don't get to carry that over and use that for other things as we go into the new budget year. So we want to be wise in saving as much of that as we can, but also investing some of that as well. And so that's going to enable us to do some pretty great things. Now, it's time to let you out on a story that has been in motion for several years. We just haven't told you about it because we haven't wanted to worry you. But these projectors that are putting these images on the screens behind me, those are years to pass their shelf life. Meaning, every Sunday they've turned on has been a good Sunday. <laughs> every time they've turned on, we've been very thankful. These projectors have been a wonderful investment for us. They have served us long beyond what we were hoping they would ever do. But they are part of an obsolete technology now called standard definition. Meaning that through the years, as some pieces of our video system have understandably failed, it has become increasingly difficult to find the parts because no one makes them anymore. And if these projectors, either one of them were to die, there would be no resurrection. They would be done. And then we would be spending money on a technology that if we could still find it, we would eventually need to discard anyway because it's just not supported anymore. So here's the deal. We never dreamed we would have the opportunity to do this at this point, but now we do. And the elders have approved us replacing this dying, long past its shelf life uh, video system with a high def system, which is the next step up. And it's not the latest and greatest, but it's very stable. It's, it's, um, it's going to be around for a long time, thankfully. But this is what this is practically going to mean. If not next week, in the next couple weeks, you're going to come in, you're going to see larger screens so we can fit more text on here, but also they're going to be incredibly brighter. They're going to be easier for you to see. You're going to notice a huge difference, but even more importantly, we're positioning ourselves with a technology that should serve us for many, many, many years to come. And God has provided the resources for us to use this. But it's not just for the here and now. This is a fundamental part of our future. This last year, just for fun, when Jay McKinney was still our worship leader last, last uh, spring, we decided to live stream one of the services and we didn't tell anybody on purpose because the signal was terrible. It was shot from a phone. We just wanted to see if we could do it. So we set up his phone over here on this side of the room on a little tripod and we live streamed the service and we thought, huh, wonder if anyone noticed. And we posted it to our Facebook and we were amazed at the response we got. 
especially from folks who can't come to grace because they have health difficulties or transportation difficulties or it's just for whatever reason what's going on in their life. This is their church home. They can't make it to church here. We were overwhelmed by the response from people saying, can you do this every week? Because we get to worship with you as a church family. But what was also surprising to us was what we've been seeing statistically as well as practically in how people enter churches, especially here in the Northwest. We are the most unchurched part of the country. And that's not a surprise to, to most of us, but that is the reality. But it used to be when someone wanted to give, quote-unquote, a church a try, they would give a church a try. They'd walk through the front doors, come on in, see how it went. By and large, people don't behave that way anymore. Some years ago, what people began to do was they began to go to the church's website and to look at it, see if it might be something that they would be open to, and then they would come to church. What has now happened in recent years, and this is borne out statistically over and over again, as well as anecdotally, we've heard this from a number of people out in the community, that now they will watch a live stream of the website a handful of times, excuse me, of the church services, a handful of times they might check the website, but then that's what they base their decision on to come to the church. That's just where our culture has gone. And so we feel to even better um, invite people out in the community into the church, especially the unchurched, especially people who have never been to a church before, a live stream is going to help us do that even more effectively. And that will enable us also to increase our social, social media presence. Do you know Take a guess. How many hours a day people spend on social media? Someone in the last service said, too much! <laughs> and probably so. Two and a half hours. That's the average person. Now, let's jump to uh, the, the younger generations. Demographers are calling the current um, students and 20-somethings uh, not teenagers, especially the, the students, not teenagers, but screen-agers because they spend nine hours a day on phones and tablets. Now, as I do the math on that, I go, how, does that, how do they sleep? How does that quite work? But whatever the case, more and more people are engaging in community through social media. It's not a substitute for what we do here in real live relational community, but it is a part of it. And if we're going to continue to be... Um, as impactful as possible, reaching into our community, we want to deepen our social media presence. We've already put a toe in the water with um, our sermon Facebook previews that we do, and we're working to make those something that happens every week, and we're not far from, from being there. But that's where we're headed as a church as well because we want to continue to try to reach into the, the younger generations. Um, in doing a query of those who call Grace Home, members, regular tenders, or whatever, um, 50% of us are age 50 or better. That's the demographics of, of our church. Now, uh, you know, that, that's not a value judgment on whether that's good or bad. It just, it just is. And, of course, 50 is the new 30 as a 50-something, you know. <laughs> I'm all in on that. But we have always been and want to continue to remain an intergenerational church. And it has always been incumbent upon us to be deliberate in reaching into the younger generations and, and growing younger. 
And so we want to continue to do that, and we have some opportunity right in front of us to do that. We have a leadership program that we've been working on for a couple years now that is launching, and you'll really begin to hear about this in the fall. It's called Leaders in Training. And this, by the way, is targeting intergenerationally. We're looking to give those who want to grow as leaders even more resources in growing as leaders um, as much as possible. But we are being deliberate in inviting our younger leaders especially into this as well. And this is, I'm very excited about this. It's a two-year commitment, and it has um, been very carefully researched, and it's going to be a great thing for those who want to be involved in it and can be involved in it. And we're not just looking to prepare people for vocational ministry like a, a pastor or whatever. We're just looking to deepen the leadership of our, of our people across the board. And I'm very excited about where this is headed, and this is a deliberate investment into our future. But we have one right in front of us with Vacation Bible School. What an incredible opportunity to reach into our community. And I'm very excited about this. For the first time in our history, we're offering two parts. We're offering a morning session. We're offering an evening session. And at the heart of what we're doing is this role called a crew leader. And basically what a crew leader is, is they have 10 students who they and another adult will be working with. And really, literally, what you do is you go from thing to thing, activity to activity with these kids, spending time with them, talking with them, enjoying and experiencing it with them, and loving them. The, the lesson, the stuff, the activities, those are all done by other people. You just get to be with the kids. And for every crew leader we have, we can add 10 more kids to Vacation Bible School who we can, who we can bring in. It's a great opportunity. For the morning session of Vacation Bible School, before last service, we had six crew leaders signed up. Now, by way of comparison, last year we had about 50. And that's why we were able to have 500 kids in our Vacation Bible School. So, I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. The staff and I are engaged with Vacation Bible School and we serve in, in other capacities. But this year, I am choosing to step forward and be a crew leader for the morning session. I will have a group of kids. And I am excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. Would you consider joining me? Because I'm doing this, 10 more kids are going to hear about Jesus Christ. If you step forward, 10 more kids are going to hear about Jesus Christ. Not all of you can do this. You don't have the time. You, you don't have the ability to do that. You work during the day or what have you. Okay, can you help with the evening session? Or can you help with family fun night on Friday night when we invite the community here for a huge party? Can you help with decor beforehand? Can you help with cleanup afterwards? Can you help preparing crafts beforehand? There is literally a place and a space for every single one of you to have a skin in the game with Vacation Bible School this year. And I hope you won't let it pass you by. It's a tremendous opportunity for us to reach into the community and bless this community. And why would we do this? Because people need Jesus Christ. We live in a community that needs Jesus Christ. And if you're like me, you're a visual person, and I just, I do better when I have visuals, so we're gonna illustrate something here with this. I'm gonna ask everybody 
In this section, if you would stand up for just a moment with me, would you please stand up? I promise I'm not going to make you do anything goofy. You're just going to stand up. Now, I want all of us to envision this entire section is filled. It mostly is, but every single chair is filled with a person, okay? In a three-mile radius of grace, considering all of us, this is how many in our community know Jesus Christ. About 25%. Okay, you can be seated. Thank you. So that's great. 25% of our community know Jesus Christ. But the other side of that equation is 75% do not. Now we can look at that number and begin to get overwhelmed. But the good news in this is we are not the only church on mission. The church, capital C, is vibrant here in East County. There's a number of healthy, united, missional churches that are proclaiming Jesus Christ. It's not all about us, but it's easy to look at these numbers and to get discouraged and to get overwhelmed. And that's where we have to remind ourselves again of this reality of the value of one. Many years ago, when I first entered vocational ministry as a middle school pastor at my last church, um, for a number of reasons, the student ministry needed to be rebuilt. We were starting from ground zero. And so I began to just call up kids and spend time with them. And there was this one Korean family in our church. Their oldest son's name was Dan Sun. And Dan was an eighth grader going into ninth grade. So he was going to be in my ministry for the summer. And then he would be a ninth grader starting that fall. And he'd be graduating into the high school ministry. So I had three months with this kid. So I thought, well, I'm going to call him up and see if he'll just go hang out. So I called him up. Hey, Dan, it's Pastor Jay, who? Uh, Pastor Jay, I'm the new middle school pastor at Village Baptist. Well, anyway, hey, you want to go hang out together? But no. Oh, okay. Well, talk to you later. Maybe. <laughs> Click. That went well. So some time went by. Called him again. Hey, Dan, it's Pastor Jay. Yeah, well, I just wanted to call and say hi and see if you want to go grab a Coke or something. No. Oh, okay. See you later. Probably not. Click. Hmm. Okay, called him again. But this time, I had talked with his family, or rather his family had come and sought me out because they knew I was trying to reach out to their son, and they said he loves basketball. So I invited him to play basketball. I said, I can do that. So I called him up and said, hey, Dan, it's Jay. Hi, Jay. Um, I'm going to go hoop today. You want to come play? Let's just go play some one-on-one. I will crush you in horse if you'll get on the court with me. Okay, I'll play with you. And so he came. I called him out. We had fun. Played basketball. That was it. And we began to play more and more basketball together. And finally, I came to the realization that the quickest way to a student's heart is through their stomach. So I took him out for a hamburger. And so bought him a hamburger, and again, we just spent time together. And as time went on that summer, we eventually got to the point where we had enough relationship, he began to ask some questions about Jesus. And one day, I'll never forget, I sat in his driveway, he in the passenger seat, me in the driver's seat, talking about Jesus, and he chose to receive Jesus Christ. Right there. I couldn't believe it. It was awesome. And so he receives Jesus and goes into his house. And then the school year started, He graduated in the high school ministry. I I lost touch with him. Hadn't seen him for 26 years. Last week, my friend on the west side, who still goes to Village, my, my old church, 
He was my college roommate. He invited me to his daughter's graduation party. And so I went, and I'm at this graduation party, and I'm talking to people who still go to Village, who, you know, I have now 30 years of history with. And, but I'm talking with them, and in through the door walks Dan's son. I knew that Dan eventually went off to school, came back from college, and in the years I've been here at Grace was hired as the student ministry pastor at Village Baptist. I knew that part of the story. But he walks through the door and he says, Jay, and I said, Dan, and give him a hug. We start talking. And he says, I want you to know something. I have never forgotten how you took me out and played basketball with me and spent time with me. And I am who I am today because of that time you spent with me. The value of one. The power of one. How you live your life, how we live our lives as a church family absolutely matters. We can make a difference. We are making a difference. We will make a difference because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done for us. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.